0: Happy Resurrection Day. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is, this should be the most exciting morning of the year, right? We are celebrating the thing, the most significant event in all of the cosmos, including the creation of the cosmos, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us here and at home. Would you please pray with me as we get ready to worship? Lord God, I thank you for this day. On this day, we remember that the one we worship, if we go to his tomb, we'll find no one there. Buddhists can find the bones of Buddha. Those Muslims can find the bones of Muhammad, but we cannot find the bones of Jesus Christ because they are at the right hand of the Father and he lives forevermore, making intercession for us. We cannot have anybody in our life who prays for us, but we have one who sits at the right hand of the Father who does. Lord, we worship you today. What amazing thing. And we know since you live, we also will live. Because you live, we can face tomorrow. We can face the, the day and its troubles. Father, I thank you for your incredible grace and mercy, your love that overshadows us. This day, as we, as we remember how you raised your son from the grave, we are reminded that one day we will raise as well. Be glorified in our worship today as we prepare ourselves to sing our worship to you. May it be a sweet fragrance around your throne. Be blessed and be glorified in our midst today. Oh, in Jesus' precious name do I pray. Amen. Would you please stand?
1: our failures hang dead on the cross
2: Stand against our
1: God. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that you are no longer in the grave. Lord, we thank you that there is nothing on this earth that can stop you. We praise your holy wonderful name today, Father. It's the worst.
0: to be Christians because they hear there's a better life on this side of eternity. There are those who use you as a stepping stone to get to what they really want. And when it becomes inconvenient, they they abandon you. But you have called us that you are the goal. You are the journey. You are what we aim to grasp that is why the Apostle Paul said, For your sake, I've lost all things. What's more, I consider them rubbish compared to surpassing worth of knowing you. There is nothing better than you. Who takes a little shepherd boy and makes him a king? Who takes a slave and makes him a governor of the known world? Who takes a little child and makes him the savior of the world. Well, that was you and you. What we celebrate today is an empty tomb. Lazarus is raised from the dead only to die again and go back into the ground, but you you did not go back into the ground. You went to your Father in heaven. Where you stand both day and night make intercession for us there is nothing better than you C.S. Lewis said you don't consider our you don't consider our desires too great, you consider them too weak we're like a child playing with mud pies because we can't understand what is meant by a holiday at the sea to know that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore to know that one day in your house is greater than thousands elsewhere. Why? Because the tomb is empty. He's not a liar, a lunatic. He is Lord. Glory and honor to you today. Because you live, we can face tomorrow. Because you live, all hope is solid. As you live, we are here today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, church, you may be seated.
1: His purpose was declared before the foundation of the world. His birth was foretold in the scriptures. His sacrifice was forewarned by the prophets.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Those who are preparing this morning's tithes and offerings, would you please ready yourselves? We'll pray over and then you can distribute the offering plates. Thank you very much. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Everything we have comes from you, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And what you require from us is just simply that first 10% or whatever else you might lay on our heart. Lord, what we do now, Lord God, is a form of worship. It is done so in joy and gladness, not because we are being browbeated to do it out of, out of just obligation, but out of joy and out of, and out of devotion to you. So God, may you bless every gift as you bless every giver. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Have a couple announcements for you here. Um, Nursery is open. So if you are at home and you're thinking of coming to church and you had little ones and you're somewhat worried um, about that, we have our nursery open. Just check in at the beginning of the service. Um, Sue Carney is uh, heading up that ministry. Thank you so much, Sue. We appreciate that. We have a men's breakfast, prayer breakfast, Saturday, April 17th, nine o'clock here at the church. So men, get ready. If anybody wants to help me make some food, please let me know. Um, or else it's cereal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Cereal and black coffee. Anyway, uh, um, we're going to have an awesome time praying together, um, bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. And I would encourage every man here to join us on Saturday, April 17th, here at the church at nine o'clock. With that, I'm going to ask our children's pastors, Pastor Curtis, Pastor Alyssa, up to the lectern here to do our kids' corner, and then we'll be dismissing kids for children's church.
3: Good morning. morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It's exciting. Good morning to be here. It is. is. New beginnings, right?
4: They all look pretty.
3: They do?
4: You all look pretty. Even the guys? You know what? You guys can be
3: pretty, too. All right. So I was just reflecting on this. Like I said, I guess, you know, you think about today, it's new beginnings, and it's like I was just looking at our calendar. The next two weeks, we'll be actually gone doing itinerating. So it's just like, wow, it's new beginnings. But I found the soap journal from a couple of weeks back. It's Psalms 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me... When my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing, and praising the Lord with music. And then if you look at the message version, it says, light, space, zest. That's God. So with him on my side, I'm fearless, afraid of no one and nothing. When vandal hordes ride down, raid, to eat me alive, those bullies and tough, toughs fall flat on their face. When besieged, I'm as calm as a baby. When all heck breaks loose, I'm collected and cool. I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing. To live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway far from the buzz of traffic. God holds me head and shoulders above all who try to pull me down. So I think this morning, I think we just rest. You know, come to the garden. You know, we just talked about the garden on Friday. Yeah. You know, they were in the garden. Those quiet moments before everything broke loose. So remember those quiet moments as we go into the new season and the new hope we have.
0: Thank you very much. Speaking of Friday, we had a excellent Good Friday service, and you can see that on our Facebook page, whether our page or our group. I'd encourage you to, um, i not trying to toot my own horn, it's just a powerful message in and of itself on the fifth cup.
4: Our scripture for today is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 through 22. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. christ has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for by as a man by as as for as by a man came death by man has also come the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive
0: this is the word of god Lord God, as I prepare to preach this morning, I pray that you would anoint me as I speak your word. May these be your thoughts, not my own axes to grind or anything like that. Lord God, may I adequately, appropriately preach your word. Do this for your own glory. Change hearts, change lives. Give hope in hopeless situations. Resurrect the dreams and aspirations that you've put into others, into everyone who's listening to this, their lives. As we look at the resurrection, Lord God, may we be strengthened. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Amen. So Friday is the day we commemorated the the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion. It It is a day of weeping, and then we have Saturday. Saturday is the day in between. You ever think about Saturday? I was thinking about the the Passion Week from Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, from her point of view. She's the first to see the resurrected Lord, but she had also seen him hanging on a cross. You know, the disciples, they Jesus would tell them time and time again, he would go to Jerusalem to die, and Peter, the greatest of the, of the apostles, or at least he thought so, um, took Jesus aside and told him, no, this will never happen to you. And that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So, His disciples, his friends, did not believe this was really going to happen, but it did happen. You ever have a fear in the pit of your stomach? You pray would never happen, but it happens anyway. That's where Mary is at. Mary is the sister of Lazarus, and whom, when Jesus sees her weeping, weeps with her. Our shortest verse in the scripture, Jesus wept. Martha, he met Martha first, and, he, and when he meets Martha, he, he reminds her of the resurrection. He's the resurrection and the life. But he comes to Mary, and Mary is weeping, and he weeps with her. At the, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when he dies, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. The earth shakes, the, the sky turns to darkness. Several holy people come back to life. And then there's Saturday, and he's still in the tomb. He's still dead. His followers, like Peter, James, and John, they go back to fishing. It's almost like, it's almost like reality had changed on them, like they had slipped into like, the twilight zone, right? And here's Mary, her and several of the disciples, they come to the tomb on Sunday. They should be expecting the resurrection, Jesus told them, but they don't. I think it's maybe one of those things where you have such a hope, you have such a fragile, magnificent hope, you dare not even whisper it. They come to the tomb, and it is empty. Mary was, she was friends with Jesus and his disciples. The disciples and the apostles, they were his disciples and his friends. There's a bit of a difference here. The reason why I'm saying that is because when Jesus was ministering in Jerusalem, he wouldn't stay in Jerusalem. He would actually go to Bethany, and he would stay with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They were, by all counts and purposes, his friends, Mary Mary. His friend, she had seen her friend hanging on a cross. Now, we kind of glamorized the cross. But the cross was abhorrent to any of, anybody from Jesus' time. Because what they would do, now we read about Golgotha being a hill, but it was a hill on the way to the city. When they would crucify people, it was a billboard of shame and suffering. And it told people who were going into the city, this will happen to you if you step out of line too and the author of life hung on a cross until he died and martha is going in the morning mary is going in the morning and they're not even left his body they took his body i bet everyone here has lost somebody and if you couldn't even mourn their own body, what would that be like? So she stands in, in John chapter 20, uh, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She's in that place where all hope is lost. Not even the body of her friend, her, men, her, her master, her rabboni is even there. And two angels are inside and they ask her, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And I talked before about having that fragile hope, like you, you believe it, but you don't believe it. I mean, she had heard that he was the resurrection and the life. She'd heard the other things the disciples had heard, and Jesus is there. I mean, it's it's almost kind of like, you know, in the comic books with uh, Superman and Clark Kent. How doesn't anybody know Clark Kent is Superman? It's just glasses. Because you don't expect Superman to be working at the local paper. She doesn't expect Jesus to be the gardener. She calls him, she thinks he's the gardener, and that is very apt because there was one who created the first garden, whose garden was first made for, and that was the one she was speaking to. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And we know she, she asked him, thinking he's the gardener, if you've taken him away, tell him. Tell me where he was put. And he says, Mary, Mary. He speaks her name like he speaks our name. Mary. And all of the hope that fragile, small little hope that we desperately clung to is real. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I went through all of this to tell you one thing, the resurrection changes
2: everything.
0: She is no longer mourning her friend, her Rabboni. It is a resurrected Lord and the resurrection changes everything. There are over 350 Old Testament prophecies about Christ that Jesus fulfilled, but it wouldn't have mattered. Jesus was born of a virgin, worshipped by magi, shepherds, and prophets, but it wouldn't have mattered. Jesus taught on loving your neighbor, about the condition of the human heart and forgiveness, but it wouldn't have mattered. Jesus was falsely accused, bulldozed by an unjust system, tortured, and hung on a cross but it wouldn't have mattered if jesus didn't rise from the dead then this then then his followers are liars and their faith is a myth and all who worship him should be pitied more than all other men he is just a good man who died a, do- a bad death but because the resurrection happened all of these things matter the resurrection matters from pastor tim keller If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue of which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Andrew Murray said, A dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. C.S. Lewis, I've had two quotes from C.S. Lewis, one from his book Miracles, chapter 16, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has he has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten beaten the King of Death. Everything is different because he has done so. My second quote: God in the Dock. Once again, C.S. Lewis. What are we to make of Christ? There is no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must accept or reject the story. The resurrection, every year around this time, the resurrection, the facts of the resurrection are under attack. When we went over the armor of God, I talked about one of the first things the devil attacked and continues to attack is the word of God. In chapter 15, the verses Becca didn't read, Paul the Apostle says the most important teaching of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It's no surprise then that the resurrection is attacked, perhaps, perhaps at a greater degree than any other belief, because if the resurrection is true, it is all true. It's like Satan it's like Satan's in denial. He still can't believe 2,000 years later, he can't believe that his day of greatest triumph when he got to crucify the Lord of glory turned into his greatest defeat. Because three days later, he rose again. And how much different than that is than him raising Lazarus from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. It's like what C.S. Lewis is saying. It's like he fought and beat the king of death. It's like when death tried to swallow him, it choked to death on on its own effort. It's constantly attacked. Every year around this time, you'll see a bevy of articles that, in some way, shape, or form, try to minimize or outright deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They will attack the fact of the resurrection. In that, they will dismiss every eyewitness testimony of the resurrected Lord. Mind you, in 1 Corinthians 15, many of the people who saw Jesus as resurrected are alive, and he tells those who are reading, the, reading his letter, Go and ask him. Don't take my word for it. There are people who saw him alive, walking around and eating. Ask them. They'll attack the facts of the resurrection. They will minimize the resurrection as a metaphor, saying it doesn't matter whether or not he was raised back, back to life. What really matters is the archetyp- archetypical um, meaning of it all. Paul denies this. If it's not a bodily resurrection, none of it matters. They'll dismiss the reason for the resurrection. This is why so much, uh, you you find so many people trying to minimize sin. The need for a resurrected Lord is because mine and your sin. That's why he had to die on the cross, and when he rose again, the payment was good. Today is the last of our series on the road to the empty tomb. Many of you may know or may not know that today we celebrate the most in. The most important, I say, I, was, I put down here, the most important event in our faith? No, the most important event in all of history in the cosmos, including the creation of the universe. The creation of the universe was easy compared to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that bought for us salvation. Amen. We celebrate the one thing that's most important. It makes, re- it makes our lives relevant. It means that what we do in this life truly does echo in eternity. Many people have died for what they believe in, but only one person is no longer dead. Is, only one person who had died has come back and is no longer dead. Only one person came back. Do you know how many people it takes to establish something to be true? One or two. One or two eyewitness testimonies. There are 500 parallel accounts. Paul tells his readers to go and ask them, this was written in the first couple of years since the resurrection Christian in in his book Christianity part two um, written in two thousand and three Richard Swinberg says this: the resurrection of God incarnate he asserts that based on the information we have we have today that the resurrection is ninety seven percent likely to have occurred. Richard Swinberg is the former um, Nol- Nol- professor of philosophy and Christian religion in Oxford University. Of course, I don't need to take his. I'm 100% certain it happened. In one of his lighter moments, Benjamin Franklin penned his own epitaph. He didn't profess to be a born-again Christian, but it seems he must have been influenced by Paul's teaching of the resurrection of the body. Here's what he wrote. The body of B. B Franklin printed Like the cover of an old book, its corners worn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author." I like that, right? That we our lives are this story, and one day it'll be corrected and amended by the author, rebound. The resurrection of Christ changes everything. Is he a, Is the center of what makes a Christian a Christian? There are many things that we could say about whether or not a person is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, but the bare minimum is that they have to be a believer in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not as a metaphor, not as a theory, but to believe in that, We use the Romans road, Romans 10, 9, and 10. For if you believe in your your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and what else? And that God raised him from the dead. A person who does not that, it doesn't matter what they call themselves, they most certainly are not a Christian. That you believe that God rose Christ from the dead. A person who does not firmly believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus just simply isn't a Christian. In the scripture, there is no allowance for disagreement On this tenet of faith, a church that doesn't believe in the resurrection is a weird social club, at best. And it is the kind of church Satan himself would ask for membership to. Faith Church believes we proclaim the resurrection in every service, every prayer, and every activity. If we lost this as first of first importance, nothing else we do really matters. You may notice our church, like many churches. We don't have Jesus on the cross. It's a cross, not a crucifix. And there's a reason for that. Because there is no one on the cross. Amen. Jesus Christ is no longer on the cross. Richard uh, um, Wormbrand um, has a story of hearing this uh, broadcast of a, um, I'm probably going to butcher this title, this type of mon- a monk, a Cistercian monk. This is an order within the Catholic Church, and the adherents of this, other than the abbot himself, live their life in quiet solitude. They literally don't speak according to their their oaths. A radio interviewer in Italy, Italy asked the abbot of the monastery, What if you were to realize at the end of your life that atheism is true and there is no God? And the abbot replied, Holiness, silence, and sacrifice are beautiful in themselves, even without the promise of a reward. I I will still have used my life well. And that makes sense, right? I mean, if if he's wrong, he dies, there's no existence. Well, who cares, right? Um, Paul actually has, if Paul was asked that same question, what if at the end of the life you find out, not even that, I mean, you could say God is real, Jesus Christ was his son, but Jesus Christ was not raised, What does Paul say? Our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Well, that's a bold statement, right? If Christ is not raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. Let me unpack that for you a bit. What he's saying there is that if all we have in this life is the teachings of Jesus Christ, well, we should be pitied more than all other people. We we are foolish. And his servants are liars. The apostles are liars. He doesn't leave any room for a kind of Christianity that just likes the philosophy of Jesus Christ. He says that, that person's an idiot. They're a fool. If Christ has not been raised from the dead. The resurrection tells us so much. The resurrection of Jesus tells us about what will happen to us after death. It tells us that Jesus was for real. It tells us the claims Jesus made are true, and it gives us true, lasting meaning to our life, that truly what we do in this life will echo in eternity. Because I know whom I have believed in, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I entrusted to him until that day. It gives strength in the dark times. And it makes the good times glorious. The resurrection means that every good moment in my life, every moment I have that's in thanksgiving to Jesus Christ, it doesn't fade away. It doesn't just drift into nothingness. When I said I do to my wife, long after, if God should tarry, and long after the last person to ever think of me dies, and my memory has been completely vanished off the face of the earth, That matters in eternity. Matters in eternity. Every glass of water you gave to someone who is thirsty echoes into eternity because the resurrection happened. And it's truly glorious, right? There's a certain amount of sadness that happens after something's completed. You know, the sweet sorrow of saying goodbye. I remember when I ran my uh, first marathon. I say first because I'm planning on running another one this summer. um, Hopefully, right, Rocky? All right. Um, (laughs) And, uh... Um, I remember it was so weird because after my first marathon, I was irrationally sad. And I'm like, why am I feeling this way? I mean, I was almost literally in a depression. And I had to, I mean, it's called the runner's blues in case anybody's interested to know that. And then I had to remind myself, no, no, every, every bit, because I, 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 worshiped while I ran. This is eternal now because he lives. Before I read this chapter, um, that we, we had just read, I didn't really think much about the resurrection. I mean, I believed it. I knew it was important to me as any other miracle of Jesus. Then I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and it changed my world and I hope it has changed yours and I pray it continues to change the way we see the world and our own world and the world at large. As the song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and my life is worth the living just because he lives. So today I want to talk about three things the resurrection changes. I titled my sermon today, It Wouldn't Have Mattered. It was kind of a cheeky way of like getting your interest. Um, But that it does matter because of the resurrection. It changes the way we see Jesus. It changes the way we live our lives. And it also changes the way we see death. That's my my first one. It changes the way we see Jesus. It tells us that Jesus was not just a good man. C.S. Lewis, now if you've been here for a little while, you know, I I quote C.S. Lewis quite a lot, but he said a lot of great things. C.S. Lewis posed a question about whether Jesus is a liar, lunatic, or Lord on the BBC broadcasting station. Lewis said this, I am am here to prevent anyone from, saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he is a poached egg. C.S. Lewis just had a way of wording things. I would have never came up with that in a million years. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come um, with any posturing um, nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, whatever strange or terrifying or unlikely it may have been, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. I say this, if Jesus did not come back from the dead, you have to say that he is a liar or a lunatic because he is God, and God can't lie. You or me may be deceived, um, deceived and say that he would die and come back um, back if he didn't, but Jesus Christ being God would not. This tells us that this tells us that what Jesus taught is good is not just good advice, but it is God's own word. I can read, and like any number of authors. From the Dalai Lama to to Dr. Seuss, but nobody really cares whether or not I like to eat green eggs and ham. It means that when you are going about your day and you need encouragement or challenge, you can open up your Bible app and find it. It means that what Jesus taught is the very words of God spoken through the human authors. He is really sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you right now. You may feel alone, but you are not. You might feel like no one cares, but you are wrong. Jesus is alive. Glory to God. Second thing it changes for us, it changes the way we live our life. I talked about in the first point how the resurrection changes the way we see the nature of Jesus Christ himself and what we believe about him. Now let's talk about the matter of how this shapes our world today and how it shapes the way we live our life. What I'm getting at here is the promise of Jesus, that if he were to go away, he would send someone else. If Jesus was not risen, if his dead body stayed in the earth, the Holy Spirit would not come. This is the promise of Jesus in John 14. The Holy Spirit, because Jesus Christ raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, we have the Holy Spirit. And he has certain actions in our life. One of them is he is the comforter. He is the paraclete. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. If you have ever lost someone and feel that bitter tang of loss, but you are still comforted, that is the Holy Spirit who is hugging you and holding you. He convicts. Jesus Christ said in John 16 that he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, judgment, and righteousness. He convicts the world of guilt. You came to Christ because the Holy Spirit of God led you. You felt guilty and wanted to get off this guilt because he made you feel that way, that you may be rushed into the arms of Jesus Christ. This is not the same, however, as a conscience. We have a worldly guilt that just makes us feel bad. We don't do anything about it. But a godly guilt drives us to the Savior. The Holy Spirit also guides us into all all truth. Chances are you believed before you could articulate everything that you now know. When you first believed, you probably couldn't do, or maybe you still couldn't do, a five-page paper on the hypostatic union. And what would it be if I had gave you all, like, homework today? Like, five-page paper, E-primed, on the hypostatic union? So you're like, that's not why I come to church. Um, <laughs> You may not be able to articulate it, but you know that he is fully God and fully man. You know so many things. It's like the man who was was healed of blindness and they're talking to him. He's like, I don't know anything you're talking about. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. That's the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. It also gives us hope. The resurrection is relevant because it fulfilled the promise of the Spirit. And we live not without hope, but with the great hope. Because Jesus is alive, his spirit cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father. It is a deposit for what is to come. This is one thing we don't talk about much in church. But what is the final destination of believers? That's my third point. It changes the way we see death. One of my professors in college gave us this question. What is death? What is heaven like right now? We are going over the different... Stages um, of the afterlife of what would happen in Revelation with the New Jerusalem and the resurrection, but right now when we die, our body is in the earth and our spirit and our soul is with the Lord. So, what is that like? And we're we're thinking, we're like, you know, we're going to different scripture verses, and all of them use the metaphor of arms, legs. You know, we have we have the rich man Lazarus, and 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 the rich man, he's thirsty. So, we're trying to figure out what what is this like, and we, we just didn't, we don't really know. Because there is nothing like it to be with the Lord, right? Without a body. It changes the way we see death. When we think of heaven, when we think of dying, we think pretty much what we've seen in medieval or Renaissance artists or Hollywood. You know, we're on clouds, we're sitting up there with a harp and a halo, and we're singing songs for all of eternity. And I don't care how much you like Amazing Grace, I'm pretty sure after 10,000 times it gets a little boring it's almost like we kind of fear heaven, right? It's like, well, I got to do the stuff I have on earth. You know, YOLO, right? You only live once. And I'm going to miss out, right? So I got to do these things now. But no person who's ever put their faith in Jesus Christ has ever been put to shame. There is a promise in the resurrection, bodily resurrection of Christ, that I too will be resurrected bodily. This is something maybe we don't talk about, but we should. It was the great hope of the early church that did not focus on heaven itself, but on the resurrection of the dead. Because the promise of Jesus Christ coming into this earth is he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. That he is gone, but he is coming back. And he's coming back to rule and to reign. And that we who are dead in Christ will raise first, And those who are rest will meet him in the sky and will be given a new body, much like his glorious body. He was a deposit of what is to come. This is so amazing. We don't talk about it much. We do think of heaven only as the here and now, but there is a promise of a bodily resurrection of the dead that we have. Changes our perspective. The resurrection lets us know that we will actually have bodies once more. This is what happens when we die. When we die, our bodies die, and our spirit is then judged by God. Whether our sins were paid for on the cross or if we, are, or, or if we remain a criminal, we then either go to God as a son or daughter, or we are punished for violating God's law. That is what we know as hell. Then, when the end of the age comes about, that's what Paul means by the trumpet will sound, the resurrection happens. Our bodies will be remade incorruptible, For those who have placed their trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Those who have broken God's law and the sons and daughters of God will be judged a second time. Those who refuse God on earth will be placed into a lake of fire. But the sons and daughters of God will rule and reign for him for all of eternity. And the promise of Christ will be completely fulfilled is that he's truly God with us. When we think of heaven... And it really it goes along with a misunderstanding of the verse in which Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many, in the King James, mansions. Which is a fine word to translate it in because when the King James, when it was written, a mansion, people knew this to be addition to the house. When we think of mansions, we think of our own estate. We think of like Bill Gates or somebody like that. And, you know, heaven's going to be this gated community and we're going to have our own No, he goes to his father's house to build an addition so that we might live with him. And one day, the kingdoms of this earth will be the kingdoms of our God, and we will live with him, Emmanuel, God with us. I think this, this really points to a problem in most evangelism we've had for the past 20, 30 years. We sell people heaven instead of introducing Christ. We ask somebody, do you you want to go to heaven? Well, as opposed to being burned for all of eternity in hell, yeah, I'd like to go to heaven. Well, I got great news. Jesus Christ made the way. You just have to, um, you know, you just have to accept him. It's like, well, whatever that means, I accept him. Great. Now I've got hell insurance. Instead of here's the one you've lived all of your life to know. Here's the one to know him is better one day with him than thousands elsewhere. That you are dead in your transgressions and sins, but he would make you alive if you would believe in him and repent of your sins. Instead, we sell an amusement park in the sky. It's a sad substitute for the reality the reality of being with Christ forever. It changes our expectations. This means that heaven will not be simply intellectual exercise of a spirit snooze fest, but excitement, love, wonder, everything that makes this life great, it will be perfected. It changes the way we do things in our life because we want to to build treasures in heaven. Jesus tells us to store up treasures in heaven. I believe if we could spend five minutes in eternity, it would change fundamentally the way we live our life. We would be disgusted with how much time we waste and we would understand how much this life is just a mist waiting to dissipate. That our actions truly echo in eternity. It changes how we should live. I like Benjamin Franklin's quote I said to you earlier that the story of our life, it will be rebound and edited by the author. So if that is true, And the the resurrection of Christ is the promise of how we should live now. We have to decide how should we walk knowing this. I've got seven things from crosswalk.com. I'm just going to go through them, not do a whole other sermon on each one. But here are seven ways in which we should walk. Recognize your sin for what it is. We always want to make excuses for ourselves because we never want to be the villain of our own tale. But when we embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we truly know and we're confident that we will live with him. We can be honest with ourselves about our own sin. Confession, the word confession in the Greek, what it means to speak the same as. So when we confess to God, we don't, we don't hold back anything. We don't make excuses. We speak it as the same as, is he, the same way he speaks of it. It keeps a proper perspective of our, of our state. We realize he is God. We are not. In our day-to-day decisions, how often do we consult our Heavenly Father? A life lived in the shadow of an empty tomb knows their proper state. It is a life that is emphasized by thanksgiving. It gives thanks to who it is due to, God. Do you begin each day with thanksgiving? When you wake up, do you immediately count your blessings? When you grumble or complain, do you try to conjure it? counterdict that with the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you choose to count everything as a joy because God is God and he truly is Yahweh Jireh? It's a life of worship, worshiping the one who has saved us. What are your current debts? Like your mortgage, your student loans? I'm not going to tell you mine. Um, What if they all went away in an instant? What would be the joy, what would be the thanksgiving you would have for the one who paid your debt? But he has paid much bigger debts than all of those could possibly be the debt we have to the Lord according to our own sins and transgressions. We keep our focus and we don't waver. A person who comes to Christ out of an emotional high, as soon as that high has subsided, will then abandon the cross, abandon the empty grave, but a person who has embraced the empty grave who has made their life that is their goal that is their focus they keep that and they don't waver they are able to stand in the middle of the worst storms because they know who is in the boat we put God first and give him our all God put us first he gave us his first fruits his son Jesus Christ who died for our sins what are your first fruits to God What are you giving him as a sign that your life belongs to him? Do your priorities, your schedule, and your checkbook reflect your desire to put him first? Do they show that he is Lord of your life? Finally, in worship team, you can come up at this point. How should this affect the way we live? We are heavenly minded while on earth. I talked a few Sundays ago about having God-shaped glasses meaning we see the world through the perspective of our faith in Jesus Christ. We see what's going on in the world, and our first reaction shouldn't be fear, but it's hope. We hear wars and rumors of wars. We hear all of these things, but if we've read the book, if we've read all of the book, we know in the end, he wins. And we can have that assurance, having God-colored glasses, being heavenly-minded while we are here on earth. Well, I'm so glad you are here today. If you don't know the Lord, I pray that today would be the day. Today is the day of salvation. Even where you're at, whether you're here today or you're watching online, right where you're at, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Stop. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that we believe in him like a parachute as we jump out of a plane. We trust in him and him alone. We love him and him alone. Above all things, that is the calling of God. And as I've been preaching, you start seeing the things in your life that you once loved and you now start hating your sins. And you wish, like Paul, to put them to death. Today is the day of salvation. Right where you're at, while we sing this song, call out to the Lord, he will save you. Today, if you already are a part of the family of God, Well, then rejoice with me, brother and sister. Our fellow brother has resurrected, and he stands at the right hand of the Father who is in heaven. What a day of thanksgiving and praise. One of the things that we accomplish here together is that. It's not always about having some emotional time at the altar but it's having an emotional time. We're exactly where we're at at all points in time that we are so overcome with the joy of the Lord that it changes the way we see life and live life. We serve a resurrected Lord. Would you please join me? Please stand.
1: In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength. stone the solid.
0: team of man can ever pluck me from his hand. When you told Peter that on your truth of you being the Christ, the son of the living God, you'd build your church and the gates of hell would not overcome it. You meant it. What a glorious promise do we have That because he lives, we too shall live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I live in the light of an empty cross and an empty tomb. Church, in a short while, I'll pray a blessing over you. We officially dismissed. Please stick around if you you want to, just to pray. The worship team will continue to lead us in a song. Today's blessing comes from the very end of the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 17. Would you please raise your hands and receive the blessing of the Lord today? The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add on them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with, with all. Amen. And Lord, as we leave this place, we proclaim your death and your resurrection until you come again. We live a life worthy of our calling. We count everything else a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing you. Be blessed today, church. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, if you continue to lead us. Thank you.